Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Horse.com's Ask the Vet live event on feeding foals and young horses, brought to you free by Arenas. Visit them online at www.arenas.com. I'm Christy West, digital editor and producer for the Horse.com, and joining us today to answer your questions about this topic are Sarah Ralston, VMD, PhD, Diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Nutrition, who's an associate professor in the Department of Animal Science and a co-director teaching at the Equine Science Center at Rutgers University, and Kenneth Kopp, DVM, veterinary management consultant and technical services veterinarian with Arenas. Thank you all for joining us today. And before we start, I want to let everyone know that we received several hundred questions before this event, so we'll only get to a fraction of them, but we've picked out several to try and cover all the topics of interest related to feeding foals and young horses. <clears throat> Excuse me. Once we're through with those, if we have time left, we'll move on to the live questions. If you would like to ask a question, you might want to hang around for a bit and see if we already have a similar one. And if not, please type your question into the chat box at the bottom of the control panel on your screen. One other thing, if you have a uh, problem with the audio in any part of this session, uh, just click on the audio control panel. Um, if you need to switch your audio mode into the use telephone, if you're having trouble with your internet connection, just click on that radio button and you will see a phone number to dial. Now we'll get on to our first question. Um, first of all, I'd actually like to start with some basics. We had a number of questions on, as you might imagine, what should I feed my foal, weanling, or yearling? And we'll break this down into more specifics in a moment, but let's look at the absolute basics of what a young growing foal needs. Dr. Ralston, can you help us with that? Sure can. Um, for, the, you know, for your basic horse, no, no, we're not, we're going to go into some specifics, you know, like the obese and uh, mares that have problems, etc. But for assuming that your mare has foaled, the foal has gotten up and nursed and has the colostrum, it will be getting about 100% of its nutrition from the mare's milk up until it's about two or three months old. We usually recommend starting the foals getting access to a concentrate that is formulated for growth, which means it has a higher level of protein and calcium, phosphorus, copper, zinc, all the, you know, the basic minerals that they need for bone growth. By the time they're about a month old, and be aware that even at a week or two old, they will start sampling their mare's feed. They'll be nibbling at the hay. They'll be you know, nibbling at her food if she lets them. So you need to make sure that whatever is available to that foal is balanced and nutritionally correct for a young growing foal. We'll be going into that more later. And giving them that concentrate early on, creep feeding it as we call it, really gets them used to eating the solid foods. It sets them up for a smooth transition when you decide to wean them between four and six months of age. After they're weaned, you can, again, you're feeding them the best quality forage or hay that you can, and continuing with the concentrate, but really, usually they do not need 10, 12 pounds of grain like the people have fed in the past. We've found in the recent years that as long as they're getting their protein and minerals, you want to kind of avoid overfeeding grains or high starchy, high sweet feeds. Um, their nutritional needs are a bit reduced by the time they're a year old, and that's about as far as we're going to go with this seminar. But introducing them to a concentrate when they're a month old or so, or just making sure that their mare's food is balanced for growth, and um, 
keeping the grain to the absolute minimum that you need to maintain good body condition and get the protein and minerals into them that they need. And keep it simple. <laughs> That's easier for all of us as well. Um, we've received a lot of questions along the lines of, my fuller mare is eating X pounds of ABC diet. Um, is this okay? And uh, why, why is it hard for us to answer this question for everyone? Um, well, Cam is going to answer that one. Um, Go ahead. Well, first of all, uh, it, it's great to be here, and it's an honor to be on this with Dr. Ralston. She's uh, been a leader for many years in veterinary medicine and nutrition, and I, I know we're going to run out of time at the end. So, Christy, I want to oh, thank sure. you and the horse. Um, <laughs> you guys you. have done a great job over the years in education, and, and it's an honor to be here. Um, you know, how do you know if your feeding program is sufficient? And um, I, when I saw that question, I thought back to one of my favorite nutritionists, Dr. Steve Jackson. He used to say mm -hmm. years ago, the eye of the master fattens the ox. And actually, there's an Italian proverb, the eye of the master fattens the horse. And the reason I bring that up, it's really a lot of common sense. I mean, learn how to do body condition scoring. If you don't know how to do that, there's great online documents for that and courses, the use of scales and weight tapes, and generally looking at the horse. And as Sarah said, focus on forage first, quality and quantity, and, and you're feeding weight of forage, not plates of hay. With a grain ration, um, we need that for supplemental calories and vitamin mineral support. And the basic is, are you following the, the feed manufacturer's directions? That's a good place to start. If you want to get more in-depth, there's something called ration balancing. There's many fine feed companies with good nutritionists on staff that can help you with that, extension. Uh, there's software programs. The National Research Council has a great program. Um, so there's a lot of tools out there. But if you get involved in that, don't focus so much on the absolute numbers but reasonable ranges, um, and, and there, there's, there's a lot of resources out there for you on that. Actually, could I jump in here for just one quick thing? We do at Rutgers at www.esc, for Equine Science Center, dot Rutgers, R-U-T-G-E-R-S, dot E-D-U, at our Equine Science Center website. If you go to the frequently asked questions and just type in nutrition or growing horse nutrition, we do have fact sheets in which I do give the reasonable ranges for minerals, protein, etc. Very good resource. On a fact sheet, it's free, it's free to the public. Oh, the Rutgers website is a wonderful website. Very good. We think so. And uh, Alfredo from Mexico has a question uh, back into the, the basics of general foal nutrition and feeding. He'd just like to know what's the best source of energy in the foal's diet? Should it be carbohydrates? Should it be fat, uh, fibers? And we've talked a little bit about focusing on forage. So can you address that? Uh, yeah, I'll take that one. Um, and Dr. Ralston already addresses, I mean, the best source of energy is what what nature design. It, it, it's, it's, you know, it, it, certainly for the suckling, it's milk. And, and the mare's milk is a great source of carbs and fat. At about two months of age, uh, the milk production starts to, to wane a little bit. And as Dr. Ralston said, that's certainly a role for 
creep feeding at that time, maybe starting about a month of age. As far as weanlings, you know, it's really a blend of energy sources. Uh, fermentation with foal starts, you know, pretty early. It's significant by about three months, so you mm -hmm. can start focusing on fiber. Um, you know, I'm a big in Sarah's to fat. Fat is a is a wonderful energy source, and it's in some ways a safer energy source. And but I don't think we have to have a fear of carbohydrates. We just need, as Dr. Ralston said, we need to feed grain in moderation um, and focus on the basics. Very good. And our next uh, category of questions is probably the biggest one we had, which uh, concerned developmental orthopedic disease, um, including limb deformities, osteochondritis, desiccans, uh, angular limb deformities, a number of things. Um, briefly, Dr. Kopp has is, is kindly prepared a very brief presentation on what just what is OCD and what and epiphysitis, physitis. Um, Dr. Kopp, you could go through that real quick. I think that would be very helpful for everyone. And are the slides going to come up? I don't see them. Yep. Bear with no. us. Well, the 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 reason the reason we you know we wanted to address this um, we had so many questions on developmental orthopedic disease and and so we thought if we could put up a few slides and are they coming up, Christy? Yeah. I don't see them yet. Should be just a moment. It's important to recognize too that the various forms of developmental orthopedic disease may or may yeah may or may not be due to nutrition. Now very that, true. Go ahead. Very true. Go ahead, Ken. And, and I'm going to go through this very quick, but I thought there may be some confusion. And it, this is an umbrella term, developmental orthopedic disease, and it's really any alteration in endochondral ossification. What does that mean? It starts out as cartilage all bone and, it, and then it's calcified. It is a big economic loss. It's a major concern of a lot of you all. It can develop some challenges with pre-purchase exams and bear in mind that lameness may not develop in, until later. In other words, the lesion can be there for a long time and it, 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 it shows up, you know, down the road. And if we can advance this, can you advance it? Christy? Sure. There we go. And this is a collective term. Um, many of us know about epiphysitis where the knees become swollen, the joint growth plates. A common term is OCD that stands for osteochondritis desiccans. Flexor tendon deformities, these are contracted tendons. Angular limb deformities, these are the crooked-legged babies, knock-kneed or, or windswept babies. Wobbler syndrome um, is where they get a, a developmental problem in, in their vertebrae. I have a particular interest in this, that this is why I'm in nutrition. I've got OCD in my last lumbar vertebrae, and that's what drove me into nutrition. Another one is, I can't work on, physically work on horses anymore, subchondral bone cysts. You've seen these on x-rays where it looks like a, a cookie cutter uh, was taken out of, out of the bone. And if you could advance, Christy. There we go. It's most common in, in fast-growing light horses. 
Um, the range, National Research Council, anywhere from 5 to 30 percent. Um, I'm not picking on these breeds now, but thoroughbreds, um, it, it's very prevalent on radiographs. But the reason I put this in there, when they radiograph them later, only about 11 percent needed veterinary treatment. Warm bloods, one study showed at a month of age there was an 87 percent incidence, and we now know babies can be born with it. And again, later on, the incidence decreased. And the reason that's significant, it suggests that nature has the ability to repair these lesions. And um, there's a, a window of time. So we, hawks, if they're less than five months, the lesion, we've got a shot. Stifles under a year of age. Uh, so we want to get on them quickly. But the point of this is nutrition, in my opinion, has a great potential in repair support uh, of these lesions. And there's some research to show that. And if we can advance again, please. Great. What causes it? Well, it's multifactorial. There is no one cause. Genetics is involved, certainly rapid growth, the confirmation if the bones aren't aligned right. Uh, Dr. Poole down at A&M uh, convinced me that trauma is part of the uh, scenario. Certainly nutrition's involved, but management's also involved. So you've got to look at the total program. And as far as us reducing the risk, uh, the parameters of genetic selection, we need to think about that. We, maybe we shouldn't be breeding some of these animals that have had DOD lesions. So management can have a profound impact. Christy, if you can move us. So some quick considerations here. Some of the key variables. We need moderate, steady growth. That's crucial. And it's the rapidity of change in growth rate that's dangerous. Um, um, so the, how, how quickly they grow. And it's compensatory growth that is, is very dangerous. And what I mean by that is you can have a sick, a sick foal. Uh, it's been held back with pneumonia or diarrhea. Um, and then they rebound. And that's when it's most dangerous. And we really need to watch their feeding program. Uh, you need to monitor body condition, growth rate, and average daily gain. And Individual feeding programs is, is really what's ideal. You need to feed them as individuals. Group feeding, you'll increase their risk. And, and I know due to logistics, that's not always possible. And Christy, if you could advance. So we've got constant adjustments. The good managers are constantly making adjustments and concentrate in forage. And this creates some dynamic nutrient gaps and our farm goal should be to minimize these, these nutrient gaps. And if we could go to the next slide. So I, I wanted to put up, we're almost done. I wanted to put up the National Research Council. They've got a great summary. And as far as, again, the causes of DOD, they're multiple. Lesions can occur at one month of age, so they start early. Many of the lesions regress. There's a window of susceptibility. The genotype can affect growth rate and incidence. Irregular growth may increase risk. And dietary management, how you feed them, will influence growth rate. As Dr. Ralston said, creep feeding will minimize these growth spurts. 
And it was interesting, the NRC actually said practical diets may or may not be balanced for critical nutrients required for bone growth. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about copper over the years. The reason I put this in there is there's no one single silver bullet nutrient that's going to save us from DOD. And the research shows it may not initiate DOD copper levels, but it may reduce the incidence through repair. And there's some really neat work uh, on voluntary exercise uh, may certainly be beneficial. And I think we had one more slide, and then we'll finish this. Ken, before we get through these, I would like to go back to your, could we go back to his second one? Because I'd like to make some points there. The second one where we're talking just about what the DOD, the developmental orthopedic syndromes are. To clarify that, there we go. No, next one. Okay, because spicitis, epiphysitis, it, to clarify a little bit, it, that when we talk about developmental orthopedic disease, it means any deviation from normal growth in the young horse's legs. Physitis is a very specific term where the growth plates, either at the carpus, at the knee, or the hock, or at the fetlocks, are enlarged. They are bigger than they should be because the foal is growing so fast that the bone can't, the cartilage matrix cannot be mineralized. And the point with physitis is that people tend to panic when they see it. If, oh my goodness, my horse has epiphysitis, and many vets will tell you, oh my goodness, you've got to put him on grass, hay, and oats. This is absolutely the wrong thing to do. It means, all physitis means is that you've got probably a mineral imbalance that if you put him on grass, hay, and oats, you're going to make it worse. And what Good you point. have to do is recognize that physitis is just a red flag that there's something wrong. OCD, on the other hand, osteochondrosis desiccans, is an actual cartilage defect. It's at the joint surfaces, and, it, and especially in the hocks and the stifle, and that is one that you can get some repairs. You can see lesions when they're young radiographically, and some of them do disappear, as Dr. Kopp said. And a lot of it, it is nutritional, but it's also strongly it has been very well documented in standard breads, warm bloods, especially Hanoverians, to have a very strong genetic component. The flexure deformities, the contracted tendons, and the crooked legs, those will appear at any time if the foal is born. We'll talk about that later, about the foals that are born with crooked legs. But those are usually, again, red flags that if they are not corrected, they will cause lameness. The physitis is merely a red flag. It will eventually go away. But that's, you know, I just wanted to sort of clarify the, the when you panic. You panic if your horse develops flexure deformities or angular deformities because those can be permanent if you don't correct them. The physitis is just a red flag. You have a little bit of time to get called Dr. Kopp or another nutritionist to, you know, analyze your ration and see where you're wrong. And uh, that's a great point. It, yeah, the, and it will, but if you do have physitis, it, it should make you wonder, do I need to look at the ration? Oh, there no, may be you, other absolutely. Yeah, oh, absolutely. No, no, physitis yeah. means you've got a problem, but you don't put the horse yeah. immediately on grass, hay, and oats and don't feed him anything else for four weeks, four months. Oh, I agree. Then I when agree. you finally do get it, then when you finally do get it corrected, you want to quickly find out where your imbalance is and correct it. 
without stunting that fall, so you go into the compensatory growth thing. Absolutely. I've been called in on way too many cases where, you know, the, the foal had a little bit of epiphysitis, everybody panicked, put him on grass haying oats for a month before they contacted anybody to see what they might, else they might do. And by the time we start to reinstitute a balanced diet, we, get, we, we can hardly avoid getting compensatory growth. And that's where you really get into problems. Thank you for clarifying that. And uh, since we're talking about uh, level of paranoia regarding DOD, I'd just like to take a quick, quick moment to ask our audience what their level of concern is for the risk of DOD. We'll take a moment to answer that, and we'll move on to some other questions. Uh, Leslie would like to know, is there a connection between supplementation of pregnant mares and OC incidents in their folds? And I think that's me as well. Is there a connection yeah, between? Yeah. Um, well, as I said, you know, we need more research on this. Sarah's done some great research. We're trying to do some more. Um, and for we do know foals can be born with DOD. Um, some of those are just genetic mistakes. Um, and some are developmental. But you know, we've got to remember development begins in utero. And the structural t tissues, cartilage development, it, it's all about collagen physiology. And the key is we must provide, you know, those key nutrients that last trimester. Um, mare's milk is traditionally a poor source of trace minerals. Um, so the, the foal is dependent on, on body stores, liver stores for copper for several months. And so the broodmare nutrition is, is important to maximize those fetal stores, especially the trace minerals and, and, and other nutrients for structural tissues. There is some research that full liver stores of copper, and I mentioned this earlier, it really has no influence on the incidence of DOD, but it did on improving or repairing, lessening the severity of DOD, of OCD lesions. But it doesn't prevent it completely. That I think it's That's very right. important for them to realize. You That's said right. it was no, not a silver bullet. That's right. That's right. And Rose from Washington would like to know what percentage does genetics play in DOD versus We know that in new, the, this was going to be one of mine. And um, in standard breads, for example, they um, have actually documented that it's about 50% uh, heritability in certain bloodlines, and it's close to that in the Hanoverians. Uh, so it plays a huge, I've done some recent work on it where we've actually d documented metabolic differences between siblings, which from the same farm, same everything, except that one had OCD, the other one did not. And they actually have metabolic differences that are due to genetics. Uh, we can't, we're still in the early phases of that research, but if your mayor had, we had, uh, we did a prospective study on that where we took 18 mares that had produced OCD foals in the past, um, <laughs> and uh, out of those 18, 12 of them produced OCD a second time. So you need to think long and hard about whether or not you want to breed rebreed a mare or to use a stallion that had had DOD, had uh, especially OCD, the osteochondrosis, is where we're talking about the most danger. And uh, we don't know flexure deformities, club feet we know are 
are heritable in the Arabian breed, um, whereas just flexor deformities, crooked legs, those really, I think it's more related to their conformation, um, leg structure, and stuff like that that, that will get you into trouble there. But again, it's genetic, but it's not going to make positively they're going to get flexor deformities or something like that. All right. And Karen from Washington uh, would like to know if you can adjust your feed program of your, of your foals in young horses to minimize OCDs. She asked, asked if the calcium-phosphorus balance is, is part of that. Oh, mm -hmm. it's certainly important. Calcium-phosphorus is, is critical. Uh, uh, generally, um, you know, if you're feeding a, a, a good commercial from a reputable feed company, a ration balance for formulated for foals, uh, generally uh, your calcium phosphorus is in pretty good shape. Um, especially if you're feeding a legume, generally you're not deficient in, in calcium. But as far as adjusting the program, we touched on this, it, it's, it's about controlling growth rate. Um, and this is where you need to monitor the baby's growth rate, um, average daily gain, and ensure critical nutrients. Um, so, you know, it, 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 management becomes very important at that point. And uh, if you can minimize these growth spurts, ensure that they're getting those critical nutrients, um, you, it, it will help. Actually, let me just jump in there a little bit on that one because uh, having done a lot of nutrition studies with weanlings, um, weanlings do not grow, you don't get consistently uh, 0 0.1 you know, one pound of gain per day every single week. They will go up and down a little bit. What you want to do is feeding so that you're not depriving them one week and then overfeeding them the next week. It's sort of a, a gradual thing and you want to feed them to maintain good body condition too. You want them to be growing. You don't want them to be overly fat. You want to be able to feel their ribs you don't want to be able to see their ribs um, necessarily easily, especially in the year, you know, the weanlings that are going into winter with their fuzzy baby hair. But you don't want to have them too fat or too thin, and feeding to maintain so that they, you know, they've got shiny coats. Really, that's the way. One way to monitor them. It's easier. It, not many people have scales where they can determine exactly what the growth rate is. Right. And they will. It was funny, our horses here are, would, first they'd, get, one week they would gain height and the next week they'd gain weight. So they go up and then out. <laughs> <laughs> you can get some good mental images to go with that, isolating those two. Okay, I'd like to share real quickly the results of our poll of our audience on what's your level of concern for the risk of DOD. 28% uh, of our viewers are extremely concerned, 40% are very concerned, 32% are slightly concerned, and nobody says they're not concerned, which of course you're here, so obviously you're concerned. Uh, all right, our next question, Carrie from Missouri, and I think this is going to tie into our recent topic. Carrie from Missouri would like to know, what is the most common detrimental mistake people make regarding feeding young horses? Want me to go first? Sure. I my the thing I've seen most is people overfeeding grain. Absolutely, one hundred percent, and feeding grains that are not balanced for growth. 
feeding, you know, feeding the mares straight oats and letting the foal eat their will of straight oats that are not fortified with any of the minerals or protein that we're talking about. The um, other thing is feeding, feed, and feeding large amounts of it. Be aware, I know the feed companies hate me, but the feed companies will usually recommend that you feed the maximum amount of their feed possible that they know is safe or they think is safe for the average horse. They want to sell feed. What you need to take into account is, you know, start feeding your foal of the grain, but if they are if they start getting too fat, back off and then start thinking about, okay, you're not going to be getting all the minerals that the people that make the feed think they need. That's where you start going to the supplements that Dr. Kopp will be talking about later. But Overfeeding grain products and especially overfeeding grain products that are not balanced for the young growing horse. Okay. Our next question is from Steve in Kentucky who would like to know if there's any correlation between a heavy protein diet and lower limb deformities in foals. That was done from no. <laughs> it was simple. <laughs> yeah, no, the um, the whole issue of overfeeding protein per se, just having, you know, something like alfalfa or a sixteen or eighteen percent protein grain. It was a misconception that was started in nineteen seventy six at the AAEP meeting. Um, it has been repeatedly, repeatedly disproven by research that you can feed these foals as long as you're not overfeeding the calories and pushing the growth that way. Feeding, I've fed my draft crosses here up to 20% protein total in their ration and we did not have any trouble. But we were feeding them consistently and we were not feeding them a lot of grain. Amen. Uh, we got to remember that bone is pro a lot of protein. It's 30% collagen protein, and they need protein. So don't fear protein. All right. Good point. And Jeanette from Montana would like to know about safe, effective dietary tips for growing a weanling to a show quality yearling without risking damage due to ex excessive growth. <laughs> and okay. and it's, it's, it's tough. Um, it's tough. I mean, fat is a pretty color in the show ring or sale ring. And, you know, if you're going to maximize growth rate and body condition, you're at risk. You're more risk of trauma to those babies. Um, and the key is to avoid those growth spurts to ensure, you know, the critical nutrients match, match, match the calorie density of the diet. So as you, if you're maximizing growth rate, you need energy, uh, nutrient density. Um, this is where some of the low caloric nutrient dense supplements can help. They can complement those extreme conditioning goals. And it really what it comes down to is that at that point it's the art of fitting these young horses versus the science. And, uh, learning to control exercise, uh, Dr. Rolson, like they've done with buck shins and young athletes. Uh, there's an exercise component to this, you know, that can help with conditioning bone. Um, but it's tough in these youngins, and, and they're, they're at risk. The biggest issue that I see is the people that will, they wean their foals, they turn them out, put them on pasture somewhere and forget about them, then bring them back as yearlings, trying to fatten them up for the show ring or the sales. 
and they'll take them off the pastures where they were doing quite well, thank you very much, stuff them into a stall, and start pouring the grain to them. And no exercise plus lots of grain, you've got yourself a recipe for disaster. If you could bring them in regularly over the course, since once they were weaned, bring them in two or three times a week to groom them and get them fitted up, but don't start pouring grain into them. You don't really need it. You can get a nice fat horse just with really good quality forage and mon a very moderate amount of grain. All right. Especially okay, well, if it's balanced with the minerals. All right. Thank you very much for that. And we're going to move on to a little bit, actually a little bit earlier in the process, and talk a little bit about mare nutrition. Uh, first, let's discuss the very basics of brood mare nutrition, how a brood mare's diet varies from, should vary from that of a typical non-pregnant mature horse throughout pregnancy. Well, let me give a brief overview. Um, and when you know reproduction, it, it, it's really a metabolic luxury. Um, for, for any species. So you've got to have optimal production before you get reproduction. So the first thing I think about with the broodmare is, you know, body condition's key. Uh, we don't want extremes. Uh, if you don't know body condition scoring, learn it. It's a scale of one to nine. Um, and less than five, at that point, pregnancy becomes a, a luxury. These mares need enough fat deposits for lactation, but, you know, obese mares is not ideal. Um, the old National Research Council had two stages of gestation, zero through eight months, and basically thought at that point they could just, all they needed was a maintenance diet, and then nine to 11, they needed a little more protein and energy. The new NRC uh, really breaks it down into three stages, and we know now during the mid-stage, they need a little more protein and energy and some more trace minerals at that point. Um, and I would caution, though, one thing I think we've overlooked, we need some research in this area. When we wean mares, you know, we hope many of them are pregnant at that time, and a lot of times we'll drastically decrease the grain ration because they're mm -hmm. no longer lactating. We kick them out to pasture. And we forget there's a developing embryo in there. And I've often wondered how that drastic reduction in mineral at that time, you know, maybe supplemental minerals at that time would be a good idea. So it's really body condition score um, is, is, is very important in these mares. And our next question is from Brooke in Australia, who has a very easy keeper mare and is, wants to know if there is any risk to the foal if the mare is too fat. The main, the main risk for the tooth obesity in the brood mare is um, for dystocias when she does get pregnant. And you definitely do not want to put a, when you're trying to breed a mare, you definitely don't want to put her on a diet. They've, the research has shown that a mare should be in maintaining her weight or increasing it during the breeding season. Once she's bred, Ken's idea, Ken's um, points on keeping her on a well-balanced diet. Um, if she has a nursing foal, you know, she's nursing a foal at the time and you start to wean that, getting her on maybe a mare supplement, but you do not want to over-supplement these mares in their early pregnancy. Their needs are not that great. You don't start really worrying about them until mid to late in terms of supplementing them. You just want to keep them in good body condition, as Ken said. All right. 
And speaking of supplementing, let's uh, ask a quick question of our audience. What are the reasons that you supplement your broodmares, foals, or yearlings? And we'll move on to our next question. Uh, Michelle from New York would like to know, what is the safest way to transition the easy-keeping pregnant mares onto ration, balance, ration balancers only into more feed to meet their lactation needs later? Slowly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're back to the simple yeah, answer. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and focus on forages first. Um, you know, that's the key. They were designing, you know, investment in forages, high quality, um, is, it will pay off. And some of these higher fat rations could help. Um, I'm a big fan of the higher fat beet pulp rations. So any transition, whether it's forage or grain, do it slowly. All right. Our next question is from Colleen in Missouri who has a pregnant Jenny and wants to know how much grain should she get in the last three months of gestation? Are her needs different from that of a horse? There, the research that's been done on donkeys and, and burros in Texas has documented that the mules and, and donkeys and burros are about 75, they're about 25% more efficient than your average horse. So um, with your, you want to make sure that, you know, again, the protein and the minerals are very important, but um, you want to make sure that uh, you don't want to feed her as much as you would a thoroughbred mare, let's put it that way. Um, usually we're talking about 0.5 to 1% of their body weight in grain maximum. And if the with the Jennies, you'd probably be going about only 0.5. But you want to make sure that the supplement that she's getting is balanced for late gestation. And Lori from Florida says, uh, has a pregnant mare who lost a large amount of weight while she was away for, for a long period of time, and if the mare is still pregnant, what can she do to assure a healthy foal? It's, it, it's hard to answer that because I, I don't know what stage. Um, but you, again, without being repetitious, you, you want to focus on fiber, fiber quality. Um, I, I like alfalfa in these mares. Um, and to bring them back. And again, some of these higher fat rations with some of the better fibers, the beet pulp rations, I think is a good way um, to try and, you know, bring them back. Okay. And we're going to move on to the supplements category. But before we do that, real quick, I'd like to share the results of our poll. What are the reasons <coughs> you supplement your broodmares, foals, or yearlings? 47% uh, are to help the development of the fetus. 63% uh, to help bone, joint, and overall structural development, 8% to manage diarrhea or other digestive issues, and 16% I don't supplement. All right, our next, our first question on supplements, um, Dee from Texas would like to know, are supplements recommended, and if so, which ones? Well, before you go to supplements, again, and I, I, I'm sounding repetitious, but you need to start with good quality forages before you even think about supplements. Uh, and then you need to focus on a good broodmare or foal ration for, for these reproductive animals. Follow the directions, feed by weight, monitor body condition. And at that point, you can consider supplements to complement uh, your ration. Uh, the, there's great balance grain rations out there, and they provide a good baseline of critical nutrients. Uh, but nutrient gaps can occur with forage variability, uh, ever-changing amounts of feed. Uh, there's times of nutritional stress, um, sick foals, 
fouls on the rebound. Uh, those are excellent times to consider adding to uh, your current ration to supplement. But you've got to feed them as individuals. You can't take a cookie-cutter approach that one ration would be optimal for all animals in all conditions. Um, there's no silver bullet in nutrition. Um, there's some concern about toxicity with supplements. And Sarah pointed out the other day that certainly vitamin A can be toxic during pregnancy. Uh, but, you know, most of the supplements out there, um, many of them, they're safe to use. And I, I remember an old professor of mine said that the dumbest horse kidney is smarter than the smartest scientist. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll urinate this out, and then people say, well, you're just a producing expensive urine. And, and, and I'd, I'd, I, there's so much we don't know about cellular function, I'd rather we have enough than not have enough absorbed. But you want to start with forages and good grains and then use supplements to fill in the nutritional gaps. Could the I? Other advantage, yeah. what, let me finish one last yeah. point. The other advantage of supplements is there's certain things like silicone silicon that, that can be used that you can't put in feed. Um, there's additional antioxidants that can be used. There's, there's essential uh, fatty acids like DHA that can be supplemented. That's a real exciting area of research right now. So you want to start with the basics and then use supplements in, in individual situations. But what I want to emphasize there, too, is prime, do not use a, five different supplements. Pick one sure. balanced supplement that meets, you know, where we're talking about hay analyses and stuff. Get an analysis of your total ration, the hay, the grain, the forage that's available, the water even. Find out where your gaps are and use one supplement that will address those needs. Don't start doubling up, you know, feeding one supplement that says it's for OCD, another one that says it's for rapid growth, the third one that says it's for something else. Because when you start doubling up on your supplements, that's when you start getting into the toxicities. Very good point. Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. That's an excellent point. And we're going to uh, check in with our audience again. If you supplement your broodmares, foals, or yearlings to provide additional nutrient support, where do you buy those supplements? Let us know. We'll move on to our next question. We're going to move on into protein. We're going to try to go a little bit quicker. We have a number of questions left. Uh, Victoria from North Carolina would like to know how much protein should be in the feed of broodmares and growing foals. We talked earlier about that it was a little harder to overfeed protein than we may have thought, but how much is really an optimal amount? The bottom line is for the growing foal, the, we the nursing and weanling type animal, there you're looking between 14 to 16 percent minimum in their ration, in their total ration. That means that if you're feeding a grass hay, grass hay only, you're looking at 18% in your concentrate or your supplements. If you're feeding alfalfa hay that's 20% protein, you don't need a high level of protein in your grain. So you base it on your hay analysis and um, base it on um, you know, what type of forage you're actually feeding to the mare and the foal. The mares only need about 12%. They can go higher. It won't hurt them. But um, they, they only need about 12%. But that foal does need 14 to 16% in their total ration. All right. 
And we're going to move on into forages. Uh, Marjorie, also from North Carolina, would like to know what type of hay and pasture would be best for a pregnant mare to ensure adequate milk production. Well, um, with the ex exception of endophyte fescue, and that's a whole other seminar, um, you know, there's really no ideal variety. You know, it comes down to quality and quantity. I mentioned before alfalfa is a personal favorite of mine in the broodmares. Um, so the pastures with some legumes in it will help increase stocking density, so there's some advantages there. But there's a lot of questions that need to be answered there, and I would encourage you to, to work with your, your local agronomists, uh, so-called dirt doctors, and, and what, so it has to do with what you can grow there. Um, so money and time invested in pastures or hay will pay dividends. Um, mm -hmm. Lactating mares, they're going to need some grain because it's one of the highest energy demands uh, depending on what forages you have. All right, which uh, sort, of, sort of emphasizes the point. Uh, Rick from Michigan asks, how important is it to have hay analyzed or pasture? It's very, yeah, it's very important to have it analyzed if you have horses that you know are at risk of DOD. You've had a high incidence, you have a high incidence of crooked-legged foals, that sort of thing. Get your hay and your pasture analyzed. And one of the things we were talking about before is that, um, before we started this, was that the, you don't, the soil analysis determines what you need to feed the grasses. However, you're not feeding the soil to your horses. You have to analyze the pastures, not the soil, to figure out what the foals are at and mares are actually getting when they're out grazing. So do both your pastures and your hay analyzed. And you do it at different times of year because it varies with time of year. Just so you get a feel for what the normal seasonal variation is and the, um, when you might need more supplements, you know, Summer, usually their maximum uh, in their nutrition. In the autumn and in August, September, December, the pasture minerals start going down. And you might need to consider supplementing a little bit more. All right, very good. And I'd like to uh, share the results of our poll, our recent poll, very quickly. If you supplement your broodmares, foals, or yearlings, where do you buy your supplements? 10% of you buy them from your veterinarian, 54% from the tax store or retailer, 23% online, 1% from the trainer, and 13% of you do not supplement breeding stock. Yay so, for you! <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our next question uh, in forages is from Julie in Michigan, who would like to know about different types of alfalfa, alfalfa hay, dehydrated alfalfa, versus timothy and orchard grass or just plain pasture grass. And Sarah, I believe you've done some work in this area. Yeah, the main thing that you need to realize there is that timothy, orchard grass, and any sort of the grass says brome, especially Bermuda grass, does not contain adequate protein or minerals for the growing foal. Those, those will need to be supplemented in one way. And I'm with Ken. I really like using alfalfa, any sort of alfalfa product for the young growing foal. It doesn't have to be straight alfalfa. Doing a 50-50 mix usually is a pretty good, a pretty good balance for the nursing and weaning foal up into their yearling years. Be aware that once they're up in the yearlings, your needs go down a little bit more. Right. You don't need to be quite as concerned. And we've talked a lot about analyzing rations. We've got a live audience attendee, Pam, who would like to know just exactly how one does go about getting an analysis of their total ration. 
you get a you uh, go to a nutritionist <laughs> contact you know the feed companies will usually you know be happy to analyze your total ration for you be aware that they are selling a product they will tell you that, that you need to buy XYZ from them um, there are there are many labs out there um, I use the um, equi analytical up at Ithaca New York but there's a lot of other independent forage analysis labs that if you send them hay and pasture samples you can get a full analysis done. I strongly recommend that you work with an independent nutritionist if at all possible. We've got two of us over here at Rutgers. Most of the big animal science departments across the country do have nutritionists available to or people that are trained in nutrition that can help you look at the total ration and see if there's what the problem might be. Ken, you want to add anything to that? No, I think that's a that's perfect. I think those are great recommendations. All right, and uh, we've got. I'm going to do one more question for just before we move on. Um, several people have asked about: Is it okay to feed let weanlings eat free choice alfalfa, or you know just graze them free choice on cut hay fields? Can you offer some thoughts on that? Um, well, if you put them on a cut hay field, I mean, it's fine for them to be out there, but they're not getting much out of it. So they, mm -hmm. they need, you know, depending on their age, they, they need a, a grain source and they need a, a good source of forage. So it's fine for them to be out there. Yeah, and if they're on straight alfalfa, I'd probably try to limit them a little bit. That fits really high octane, but um, any of the lucerns or, or straight alfalfas are... Um, very high octane. You'd have to kind of watch them for getting too fat. Is the biggest problem. Exactly. That's not that they're, exactly. They're exactly. going to get too fat on straight alfalfa. Then you'd have to limit it, which then isn't. I like to see a mix, as I said before. All right. We're going to move on to a new category. This time, uh, vitamins and minerals. Uh, Claire from California would like to know what are your thoughts on mineral supplementation of foals before weaning, and also testing of mare's milk for mineral content. <laughs> Oh boy, um, it's a good question, um, and 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 certainly, you know, we talked about creep feeding, and it's it's critical. Um, it, you're going to minimize that growth spurt. You'll be getting supplemental um, minerals into them. Um, testing of mare milk, it, it, it's probably a waste of time. I mean, there's mm -hmm. the I've seen seen reports. Uh, where there's one particular mare that produces uh, every year a, a, a DOD foal, they analyze the, the mare's milk, and then they make adjustments. I don't think we really know what we're doing there. Exactly. Um, uh, so I, I, I'd focus on where there's good research, and you know we do know that um, a lot of this is collagen physiology, and, and the trace minerals are important, and you know, there are times when, when supplements um, can, you know, say you're, you're wanting to slow the foal down, slow the growth down a little bit. They're growing too fast, and that's where adding a supplement to your existing ration does have a role. Yeah, you're cutting out the grain and adding in the minerals and protein they need with the supplement. Exactly. And uh, we've got a, a question from a live attendee, Heather, who would like to know if it's better for foals to get their trace minerals from a block, a mineral block, or through a complete feed. Be aware that the trace mineral blocks are, do not contain calcium and phosphorus. And asking a foal to consume voluntarily the trace minerals that they need, I know there are some 
things that some people out there, they will give them a little pot of calcium and a little pot of zinc or whatever. Asking a foal to take the trace minerals that they need voluntarily from a block is like asking your 10-year-old kid to go into a 7-Eleven and come out with a balanced diet. They will not, they will eat it only if they think it tastes good. And they won't do it to balance their needs. You need to feed them the completely balanced ration where they can't sit things out. Fair enough. All right, our next question is from Scott in Massachusetts who says he's noticed there's a product called silicon in some products uh, for full growth. Uh, what does this do exactly? This is an interesting area. In, in fact, I, I, the, the most recent National Research Council actually stated that silicone is uh, there's likely a requirement for horses. Um, it, we do know it's involved in the collagen matrix, bone mineralization. It's actually involved in hyaluronic acid and cartilage. Um, and Dr. Nielsen did some really neat work with this up at Michigan State where silicone can, one particular silicone, sodium zeolite, that needs, that's the most bioavailable. There's lots of silicone that doesn't get absorbed. But this particular one in this research, they did show that you could lessen bone injury and actually increase bone mineralization. And what's really neat in food animals as well, they've actually shown that you can decrease the incidence of OCD. Now, you can't correlate directly to horses, but when you start seeing some of that, it, it perks your interest. So I think it, it has some opportunities um, to help us. All right. And L.A., from Mass also from Massachusetts, uh, has noted that some feeds have different kinds of chelated minerals. What does this mean, and do they help foals in prevent preventing OCD? And this is a favorite of mine. Um, this is one of the reasons I'm working for the company I am now uh, with their chelated mineral research. And I think it, we need a lot more research in horses. Uh, but let's explain what it is. It's any mineral that's bound to a carbon chain could be amino acids or peptides or sugars, and they're classified as chelated or organic, but they're protected. They're, there's been shown they can help with bioavailability. And uh, the biggest majority of trace minerals in horse seeds are salts, and, and these are poorly absorbed. Uh, they're prone to form complexes, and, and there's been a lot of, lot of neat work on the food animal side. Um, I'm really proud of my parent company. They've got really neat research in multiple species on improving bone-breaking strength, tendon, ligament integrity, um, actually reducing the incidence of DOD in, in multiple species. And it all comes down to collagen. Now, we can't say that's true for horses, but we've seen it in so many species that we're starting a lot of research in that area. So. We don't, the whole story's not out, but uh, chelated minerals are, are very exciting from my perspective. All right. And we're going to move on to our last poll of our audience very quickly. Um, would equine specific research on supplementation for broodmares, foals, and yearlings be of interest to you? Well, I, I think I know the answer to that for most of us. But we'll move on to a question and a very popular question, so various versions of this question. But uh, we'll start with Carolyn from California. We'd like to know if there are different nutritional requirements for different breeds of horses and are any particular breeds more prone to orthopedic disease? Um, with the, 
Let's put it this way. The draft crosses that we've been studying were Belgian and Percheron cross with quarter horse and thoroughbreds. Um, and it's also been documented in now between some warm bloods and standard breads over in Europe. That yes, if you it's not this particular breed, but the type. If you have the thin-skinned, hot-blooded horse like the thoroughbred Arabian um, quarter horses to a certain degree, they will be have higher energy requirements. Not necessarily differences in their protein and mineral requirements on a per pound or per unit weight type thing, but the energy requirements are lower for your draft cross or more, shall we say, placid horses. Morgans, for example, are air ferns. Morgans, you, you, they look at grain and they get fat as a rule. Um, you, there's a lot of individual variation within a breed, but in general, if you've got a warm blood, if you've got a draft or a draft cross, try, if you follow the NRC guidelines for the hot bloods, <laughs> you're going to get a very fat horse. So it's mainly in the energy requirements, however, not with respect to protein or minerals. They all need the increased protein. They all need the increased minerals to get proper bone growth and development. Very good. And uh, we've got a couple other questions um, sort of specific to breeds uh, in, in a way. Uh, or should there be any different feeding guidelines for miniature mares and foals and uh, miniature burrows? <laughs> Feed them less. <laughs> <laughs> Just be, you know, think of it in terms of the percent body weight. We're usually recommending at least 2% body weight in the forages and 2% of the body weight of a burrow, a mini horse or a mini burrow is a lot less than a full-size horse. And you're talking teaspoons and tablespoons of grain and concentrates as opposed to scoops. Uh, the biggest problem those miniature animals have is that they're way overfed. Yeah, and you know with the minis there's uh, there's two types of minis, those fixing, those getting an impaction and those fixing to get an impaction. So be real careful on real coarse forages with those. Real coarse over mature forages. Absolutely, yes. Great tips. We're going to move on to weaning and weanlings. Hit just a couple of more questions before we wrap up here. Uh, Brenda in Texas would like to know what is the best age for weaning? Between four to six months. Okay. And what do what hay <laughs> Sagan? I said period. <laughs> <laughs> period. Well, let me let me add something there. You want to make sure, whatever age, that they are consuming, you know, about a pound. I would maybe say at least three quarters of a pound per hundred pounds body weight of grain uh, beforehand. Uh, uh, and, I'd say more than three quarters. Yeah, a yeah. lot of these, but they they have to be yeah. on. They need to be on a growth formula concentrate right. before you wean them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And Dee from Colorado would like to know uh, what forages and grain would you suggest feeding to growing weanlings? Can that was your to, to, to grow to what was the question again? Um, what what hay forage and grains, if any, would you feed to growing weanlings? Anything different from younger horses, well, older horses? Well, we touched on this earlier. Um, you want, in my opinion, you want to 
get with a reputable feed company with a with a, a, a feed that's designed and balanced for growing foals and follow their directions and start with a very high quality forage. Um, and Sarah touched on this free choice feeding or lots of alfalfa. It's it's dangerous. Uh, I, I I'm not afraid of alfalfa. I like a little bit with these babies, but you got to be careful with it. You want about you know, the ideal thing would be about a 50-50 grass alfalfa or grass legume type mix, free choicing that to them, and yes. then adding in only as much grain of the of the growth formulated concentrate as necessary to maintain good weight and get their protein and minerals into them. You know, and real quickly, Christy, um, we talk about growth, you know, and monitoring growth, how important this is. Um, there are really good tools out there. There's growth monitoring software uh, that's available. InterVet's got a growth chart that I think is really neat. Um, so there's a lot of tools. AEP's got some resources on that. We mentioned Rutgers. So there's some tools out there that they can use. Uh, if I had a, a group of babies, I'd, I, I would invest in a scale um, mm -hmm. if I was ser serious about raising babies. But be careful. As I said, if you start trying to adjust every single week, you're going to go nuts. I'd only no, weigh them about once every two or three weeks. Right. Good point. And real quickly, the results of our poll on would equine-specific research on supplementation for broodmares and et cetera be of interest to you? Um, unsurprisingly, 98% of you said yes, 1% no, and 1% no opinion. Um, all right, we'll address a couple of questions quickly about creep feeding, which we've mentioned a couple of times. Uh, Maggie from Michigan would like to know when you should start creep feeding and what food would you recommend? Well, the, the baby's going to start creep feeding himself unless she's, he's got a mean mother. Um, I mean, they'll start, eat, they'll start eating with mom, and which Dr. Ralston pointed out, you want to make sure the ration you're feeding the, the mom has the critical nutrients in it. So they'll start eating with mom. Um, you know, I always wanted to get them through full diarrhea, wait till they're about a month of age, start very slowly. Um, and you know, I always erred with less creep feed than more, you mm -hmm. know, about three-quarters of a pound per 100 pounds body weight or one month of age, rather. Um, and you need to feed them as individuals. Group feeding, as we said before, is hard. You can do it, but that's where your management really needs to be very, very careful. All right. We're going to move on to a couple of other questions that we have before we wrap up here. Um, Elizabeth from Canada says her uh, seven-month-old weanling has a pot belly, but it's not from worms. What could it be? They said, and she also added that they're going to have a hay analysis report by Wednesday. And I, I can probably guarantee you that their hay analysis will show that the hay that they're feeding is extremely high fiber and probably a little bit low in energy and protein. Um, yeah. They, you know, the babies, especially weanlings, can get pot bellies if your forage is of poor quality. All right. It will not get, they will not get it if it's good quality. Right. Very good. And Kathleen from Tennessee said, is uh, with an equine rescue organization that's taken in several, several foals that have been starved, aged four months to a year. And what, what, what would be your feeding guidelines for bringing those this, this starved foals back? Well, you, you want to 
you want to work closely with with your veterinarian. It, it's 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 really difficult with starved animals. There's what's called a refeeding syndrome if you bring them back too quickly, um, and it depends on the age of these babies. Uh, you know, if they're really young, you know, maybe maybe some of the milk replacer or the milk pellets would be good. Um, and if they're old enough and they they they, they can ferment forage. Um, I would start them on, you know, small amounts of, of good quality forage um, first because the, the bacteria in their gut's been depleted, uh, the, the lining cells to the gut, the enterocytes are, aren't healthy, so you, you need to go very slowly with, and certainly don't throw a lot of grain at them right away. Exactly. Carolyn Stoll in, Colorado, in California has done some really good work on refeeding starved horses. And the best thing to start them on is alfalfa, but you feed small amounts frequently, and um, you do not feed any grain to them at all until they're really starting to come back with the alfalfa. You want that high protein to get their muscle in that. Right. It starts well, slowly. Very slowly. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, okay, our last question then is from uh, Kim in California who uh, has the opposite situation. She's raising ponies that get fat on air. How does she provide the right nutrients to them when she can't feed them uh, high quantities? Um, feed them, in those cases, uh, feeding them the lower amounts of legume and using one of the supplements that as we discussed before with Ken, where there, there are supplements that you can feed that have just a moderate amount of protein and the minerals that you need for the proper bone growth. And there they, I would feed them less of the legumes that get fat on air. No grain. No grain, <laughs> right? <laughs> no grain. And speaking of grain, we did have a question from a uh, live audience member who would like to know, when we say grain, are we talking about corn, oats, barley, or commercial pelleted feed products? All of them. Clarify. All of them. <laughs> All of them Anything above. that contains corn, oats, barley in large quantities. All right. Thank you very much. Well, that is about all the time we have today. We'd like to thank Drs. Uh, Ralston Kopp for their time today in answering everyone's questions, and I'd like to thank you, our audience, for participating. There were some really great questions today, and unfortunately a whole lot that we weren't able to get to, uh, but the recording of this session will be archived soon on thehorse.com. And last but not least, I'd like to thank Arenas for bringing this free session to everyone today. Please visit them online at www.arenas.com. Uh, have a wonderful evening, everyone, and good luck with those bowls. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy Merry holidays. <laughs> yes.